I open my eyes, but there is only darkness. Not pure black, things are sort of reddish and glowing, but there's not a single source of light. Everything is diffuse, like when my glasses fog up from my mask, or I'm trying to look into a dirty aquarium tank to see a starfish. I'm so fond of starfish, those little regenerative angels. I can hear sounds, but they're muffled, crawling by and cottony. My arms and legs feel heavy, and while my instinct is to struggle, I stay as still as can be. I begin to feel almost weightless, which after a year of pandemic eating, I don't mind at all. And it's then that I feel the air coming apart around me, and I'm becoming part of it. All the atoms are unfastening themselves, protons drifting away from neutrons. I reach out for the air, but it's like putting your hand on a tired beanbag. Everything is looser than it should be. The dark becomes darker somehow. There is no light. There is no sound. There is only the deep night. Deep night with Fringe. Hello. I'm not sure if it's me or not. Dale Seaver. The words sit awkwardly in my mind. I think that's my name. I try to make the sounds, but they come out like balls of tapioca, lopsided and sticky. I want to pull all the strands of my being together, but it's hard to form a single thought. You know when you take a marshmallow and work it between your thumb and forefingers until it becomes a sugary goo? Uh, that's my being right now. I seem to have slipped into a black hole or some kind of a cosmic thingamadoo. Uh, words are failing me, and I am everywhere and nowhere all at once. Uh, suddenly, I'm hovering above the parking lot at Lowe's. I'm a cloud of weed smoke, slipping out of a barely cracked window of a Toyota Tercel, drifting like the fog that sweeps across Twin Peaks in San Francisco on warm days when you have to wear one too many layers. It keeps pouring out, and I can understand it on a chemical level, mixing with the toxins from cleaning fluid and the heavy metals off-gassing from the scrap metal plant across the canal, Every time the metal jaws clench a new pile of bent aluminum siding, a great swirl of dust attempts an escape, but it's met with a downward cascade of exhaust from the BQE above and the curious cauldron of sex disease and hundred-year-old industrial spillover that lurks in the Gowanus below. The metal dust is held in a toxic stasis before dropping quickly and spreading across the canal's surface. At least I can tell you that we come to you tonight, as we always do, for this must be the foul banks of the Gowanus. A welcome reprieve from those toxins. The scent of lilac draws me to another place 
entirely, and now before me is a pond covered in algae, and there's a turtle. Nope, that's, oh, that's a lot of turtles. That's too many turtles. <laughs> oh, I wish I was anywhere else. And for some reason, I'm only now just realizing that the shell of a turtle isn't just some kind of little box they carry around with them. It's their whole body, like their insides are all just in there, not like a separate little lizard body that kind of wiggles inside a, a empty shell, but the shell is the thing, its spine reaching up and across the back of it. I wish I did not have this kind of cosmic awareness, but if I have to have it, you have to have it too. The lights flash, and now I'm back, sort of, in the new apartment. I can see that Linda and Gary Murtry are over for a taco supper. I'm both in the room as me and not in the room at all, as I can see myself mixing up one of my famous matcha margaritas. I take care to coat the rims in a fine green dust so that it looks like moss, like the kind that was on the back of those turtles, like the toxic powder of the guanas. Oh, my goddess. Is everything related? Is it all the same dust? My perspective keeps shifting. It's hard to hold on to. I'm an old balloon that's loosened itself from a knot, and now I'm just hanging in the corner of the ceiling. But I can see everything. A sad, slow drone, I drift from one room to the next. I slide out an open window and take in the backyards of Brooklyn. It's nice to have these backyards, and the idea of a backyard I let linger, uh, rolling around the inside of my mylar being enough time so that the words become round and meaningless. There's a backyard with a family. They own their own bouncy castle, which feels oddly familiar at the moment given my current state. No one ever asks if the castle wants to be bounced on. I'm sure it has down days. I can feel it. They sometimes grill out there, and the smoke takes over all the backyards, uniting it. The trees put up with it. They also offer shade to the next-door neighbor, who has an outdoor gym. It's three pieces of equipment, but if you haven't watched someone lift weights from directly overhead, oh, oh, you gotta try it. It's like they're trying to push into you, but of course they also pull away quickly, so not unlike a lot of relationships I've been in. The people across the street are rich. They have a perfectly manicured lawn and a tree house that is the size of a decent apartment in most of New York. It does have more squirrels than most apartments, though. One of them is in love. One of the squirrels is in love with a robin, but it doesn't know how to tell her. They don't speak the same language. But every day he hops across the old clothesline and up the fence post to make a daring leap across the roof line of the tree house, and he tries to time the jump so that it will impress the robin, but nine times out of ten, the robin looks away at the exact moment, distracted by a bug or the dim-witted morning dove that coos so loudly that no bird can really focus on anything else, let alone the daredevil affection of a species other than its own. I can tell that the robin loves adventure, craves it, but gave it up a long time ago. It once tried to pry open a shiny can just to see what was inside, and it chipped off a part of her beak. She rarely smiles because of it, which is a shame, because that broken beak is how the squirrel knows it's her, and he loves her more because of her uniqueness. Most nights he nibbles on old acorns alone when he can remember where he put them. 
The other neighbors have junk piled up against the fence. Most backyards have one of these folks in them. The piles move and get assembled and disassembled and then reassembled depending on whether or not the man is working out there or the kids are having people over or the one woman is smoking a cigarette and just staring off. Not sad, not happy, just there until the cigarette is gone and the spent filtered end hits the cement and she pushes on it half-heartedly with the toe of her sandal. I can feel all the history of that particular tobacco plant, but I'll keep that to myself, a secret for another day. There's a flash of light and the collapsing of sound around me like I've just walked through a waterfall and now I'm on the other side. But the water is time and I'm soaked in the sheer experience of it all. I try to make a thought happen again inside my brain, but it slips outward as if to see, tumbling toward an endless point in the distance. The next series of images happened so fast, and yet I can remember every one in perfect detail. At a thrift store in Pennsylvania, a couple finds love and inspiration in what has come before and make music from that. A woman of extraordinary compassion gives herself permission to let go and find herself anew by making a film about joining a traveling circus. A librarian uncovers a book bound in human skin. It appeals to her sense of the arcane and her profound respect for craft. She has to try and make the unknowable known, for that is her calling. Another eats a cookie in Los Angeles. Surrounded by art and ideas and books, her head is too full, and so she turns to physical clowning and mime and silliness in an empty zoo. It moves her to be so connected while also inspiring joy. Joy and a little bit of darkness collide in the skeptic, the one with the Irish accent and an unstoppable will. She is going to make it. A stone set in the sea, she stands firm. Two collaborators make music in the desert, living communally. It appeals, for the sharing of a thing is beautiful. To get caught up in the joyful noise, so much so that one clamors over chairs to keep it going. There it is, again, joy. This next woman prefers to examine the thing, joyful or otherwise. She derives pleasure from seeing things up close and then zipping very far away. Her focal lens always shifting and adjusting, at once very shallow, then very deep. Through her voice, she attempts to get to the thing of the thing. She takes a sip from a Kathy mug. Now we see a fool running around in a bird cot. Okay, well, <laughs> that's me. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Well, let's, let's call that joy, shall we? Because again, joy uh, appears. There, there may be smoke and silliness, but there too is laughter. Explosive, singular, radiant, a swirl of tarot cards and symbolism, but at the heart of it, always the laughing. And laughing is what drives this next woman from a windowless room. She's tough, a seeker. Someone who is not letting the past stop her, not letting the trauma of yesterday hold her captive for one more second as she documents the city on long walks. And when she finds a microphone, she holds on to it, for that is going to be the thing that lifts her out of it and gets her through this. Another woman back in the desert, holding up a mirror to herself and to us, allowing us to look deeper, to listen more fully. Her name is that of a thing made in the sea, but from the rocks and sand she calls to us. The next woman, surrounded by books, she speaks of fear, of dying, of space, and that which we cannot face. Her voice, so soothing, but she is looking for a deeper understanding of who we are and who we can be. 
At this point, I understand why I'm seeing these images. It's all of my guests of this season, each and every one, everyone I've spoken to through my computer, appearing before me in a square and then sinking away. All of these people striving to contribute and connect. The moments and voices come quicker. A woman escapes a cult. A woman tells her personal story through crystals. A woman faces the vastness of grief by exploring the Grand Canyon and then finds a productive way to process things on a much smaller scale. And now I can see her making miniatures of places in her life, rendering them tiny but also manageable. To the composer standing amidst the trees, worried about constant illness and finding healing in the array of sounds from nature and the powerful divine feminine energy of the universe, putting that all into an album quite unlike any other. A man born of a great artist, hears all of the music of his life and wants to do something with it, something that blends the rhythms of his childhood with the melodies of comedy. Another songwriter, forced to be inside, finding her true voice by playing into a tiny camera and then building an album from a place of great generosity. A chef, who in complicated times offers recipes that stand out for their simplicity and their ability to encourage comfort. In space, one can see through all of time, which is why the perspective of a 500 million year old woman made of clay is so needed and restorative. She offers me hope and a single tear falls down my cheek. A comedian who has taken stock, preparing before entering the world again, cautious and exploratory and wise about the moment. A woman who was able to find control and confidence by using her voice to animate characters, who grew up in such a way that demanded her imagination be central to her survival. To a woman who creates characters with makeup, who again seeks joy wherever it can be found, with laughter throughout, famous for playing a make-believe princess of outsized affections. The clarinet playing oracle. She builds and destroys and builds again, sending searing wisdom from the Windy City. She offers a clarion call to be present and not let the moment slip by. I try to hold on to that as I'm whisked onto a runway, talking with a designer who uses cloth and color to tell a story, to reveal an inner state whose own joy is clear, a person for whom all of her talents and interests have aligned. That ripple of recognition spreads throughout all the faces I've just seen and heard again, all of these guests operating in their power, and finally, a familiar friend, a man stepping into his moment as a father, as a comedian, again full of generosity, letting go of anger and holding on to wonder. Lawn care is self-care, are words I see written in clouds above a home in New Jersey. For a moment, I recollect myself, and I am whole again. I am full of goodwill, full of thanks for these souls who have visited with me, even those with faulty earbuds and poor Wi-Fi connections, or those for whom I spent most of the night editing out mouth sounds. Did you know your mouth makes sounds all the time? I do now. Mine is especially active. How does anyone get close to anyone else with all of these noises and things that our bodies produce. Some mysteries of the universe cannot be answered. The lights around me shift again. 
I remember this same sensation from Gerhardt Undergutten's houseboat when we visited in Amsterdam. He and his wife offered us cheese and a threesome, but I was mostly interested in his collection of vintage blacklight posters, all sorts of panthers and spiders and some that were a little naughty, just like Gerhardt. We declined all but the cheese that night. Now in this moment right now, I'm inside a blacklight image made for me by the artist Katie Mulligan. I'm looking out as you as a pigeon sits on my shoulder and all around me is overgrowth in the middle of an empty Brooklyn, an ice cream truck and a subway stop barely emerging from the tall grasses and flowers and vines that have ensnared us. A commune rises behind me as the moon descends and ascends above and below my head, meeting me in the middle. Everything is vibrating and I can feel myself glowing. I fold in on my own face and melt into another image. This time, there's a lot of growth, but it's sunny out. Blue skies, mushrooms cluster around the base of a tall and twisted tree. I'm stuck. I'm the tree. No, wait. I'm able to move ever so uh, slightly, and as I reach out, the pigeon returns. The same pigeon from before. The same pigeon from all the times before. The one that was keeping me in place is now here to free me and return me to the living. I feel like that after a year inside. Another powerful metaphor is at work. I'm worried I sound like I'm explaining a dream to you, but this all feels so real to me, and it's happening to me at all times and uh, not at all. So that uh, talking about it now with you in this moment is the only way I can get through it, the only way to emerge from being stuck in the trunk of a gnarled and twisted root system. The image reminds me of one created for us by Madison Harper, an artist from the Midwest who draws such beautiful trees. I had to reach out. And now, ew, I feel your finger scrolling past the same image in your Instagram feed. But how can it be? I'm in your phone, but also part of the internet. I've gone from the multiversal to the multipixel. My body dissolves into ones and zeros around me. But that was always thus. What you're listening to now is a disembodied digital version of myself. I want to be with you in real space, in real time, but something is keeping me back. Something is holding on to me. I return to the beginning, that place where it felt close and snug and a little too warm. I hear a familiar voice, and all, all the... Space around my arm starts to move downward and away from my shoulders and neck, and then I see Galinda. Fuzzy, but Galinda. It must be because my glasses have been shoved upwards onto my forehead. I must have gotten stuck inside my turtleneck. Oh, fringe. <laughs> that was close. I thought I had slipped across the event horizon of a black hole deep in space. Turns out we had the blackout curtains shut and I was stuck in a shirt. Live and learn. Always dress with a buddy. <laughs> well, that'll do it for us this season, the entirety of which just flickered through all of our minds. So many great guests doing wonderful things. So many artists that have contributed to the look and feel of this thing we call the Deep Night. I hope you do look at these images that I was referencing by Katie Mulligan and Maddie Harper. We'll put them up on Instagram, and then, oh, then I would be in the phone as you... Oh, this is... Well, anyhow, uh, we'll put them up there. You can see them, and, and I urge you to support them. I urge you to support all of our guests. Buy their music, read their books, watch their comedy specials, see them live. I wouldn't steer you wrong. You have 
my deep night guarantee on that. And as you slink off into your own gravitational pulls of summer vacations, keep your heads up. Find those who seek joy and keep them in your orbit. I'm so glad to have you in mine. Thanks for downloading, listening, sending nice messages, writing reviews, and generally being such a fine audience. You truly are the best. Now, for the last time this season, I thank you and urge you to remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is produced and performed by James Bewley. Season theme song by Mariam Kadus of Space Moth. Season podcast icon by Philippa Beleza. Incidental music heard throughout the program by the talented roster at Howler Hills Farm in Ohio. Remember to rate and review the program on Apple Podcasts or tune in and stream the show on Spotify, SoundCloud, Pandora, or Stitcher, wherever you find fine audio content. To see any of our live shows or other short videos, visit our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Radio, and follow us on Instagram at Seaver is the handle. Thanks again for listening, and remember this season to keep your portals open and at a safe distance. <laughs>